Welcome to a new episode of How I Became, the podcast where I talk with individuals to reveal the valuable lessons they've learned while navigating their way through life. I am here with Walker Near. We're going to have an interesting conversation here. And Walker, what I want to do first is let me ask the question like this. Your 16-year-old self, who did that 16-year-old want to become? Ooh, uh, I don't know that it's really going to be that exciting or, or insightful of an answer. Uh, when I was 16, I think that I probably thought I was going to play sports past high school, which was kind of laughable because I wasn't <laughs> an accomplished high school athlete. So I don't know why I thought I would go on to any other level beyond that. Um, I don't know if it would have been at 16, but probably within a year or two of that, I thought I was going to be a stand-up comedian and was really, really interested in that for, for a time there. Um, but that I did that for, I don't know, about a year or so, maybe when I was 19, 20, and then stopped and then actually came back again when I was 30, hoping that it would be like this movie-like moment where I got on stage and I, I was like, oh, this is my calling. I've always been, I've needed, needed this for so long and that's not what happened. So I, uh, <laughs> I kind of walked away from it, but, but yeah, I'll, we'll go with comedian. <laughs> yeah. So, now that's interesting because the, the courage it takes to be a comedian, to stand up on stage, where did that inclination come from to want to stand up there and attempt to make people laugh. Yeah. I mean, I've always been kind of a, you know, growing up, I was always kind of a class clown, you know, kid that tried to be funny socially just, you know, with my friends or like I said, in class or whatever. I mean, when I did play basketball in high school, so I did play on the team while I was a member of the team, <laughs> how much I played is debatable. Um, but even then, you know, I was constantly in trouble with the coach or, or whoever, because I was constantly trying to tell stories and constantly trying to make people laugh. And I just grew up a huge fan of stand-up. Uh, my dad uh, had HBO when I was growing up, so we watched Def Comedy Jam on a regular basis. I, I remember watching Chris Rock's first stand-up special, uh, Bring the Pain, I think it was called, in like 95. Mm -hmm. But just grew up just loving stand-up and uh, just, I guess, was <laughs> naive enough to think that because I was funny with my friends that that certainly meant I was a natural fit for the stage. And it turns out there's a lot more that goes into it than just being able to be funny <laughs> with your friends. <laughs> now, what was what was your first experience? Did you at nineteen twenty? did you actually get on a stage and attempt to tell jokes? I did. Yeah. Uh, the very first time I went, there was a, a, a club. I'm from Springfield, Missouri. There was a club downtown called the Brick House Lounge. And they had kind of an open mic thing. It wasn't a recurring like weekly thing, but they had a comedy show that night. And so they had options for people to, to do open mic ahead of that. So I went in first and asked if I could do comedy. And they said, yeah, what's your, what's your name? And I was like, Walker near. And he was like, ah, that's not going to work. <laughs> and then he was like, how about Johnny Walker? And I was like, all right. And that's the, you know, whiskey. And from there, People just started calling me Jaywalk, which was actually <laughs> a nickname mm -hmm. of mine for several years following that period of time. 
Uh, and yeah, I went on stage and it was, it was, I'm a white guy. It was largely an all black club. This was probably 2002. Mm-hmm. So I'm the, the movie eight mile has recently come out the Eminem movie. That's, you know, somewhat based on his life or whatever. So I'm in the, I'm wearing a stocking cap and the crowds all calling me B rabbit and <laughs> which is Eminem's <laughs> character from the movie. Everyone was, was incredibly kind to me, but I was, I was, I'd never done it before. So yeah, I was definitely very nervous and, and I got on stage and I remember I could look to the front and I could turn to my left, but I was, for whatever reason, I just wouldn't turn to the right. Um, and most of the people giving me a reaction were sitting on the right side of the room. Maybe that's why I wouldn't look at them because I was too afraid of the, the laughing or I don't know, but, uh, but yeah, I, I did it and got done and, uh, was, could barely remember it. I mean, it was just all a blur. Um, but went back there a couple more times and I think I did maybe one other set there. And then after that, it fell through. And then shortly thereafter, I found a local comedy club and started, I went there to do open mic one time. And the guy that was the MC was getting ready to leave for the summer. And he said, Hey, I know you're new, but I think you could, you could be the MC if you want to start hosting the show when I leave in like two weeks, you know, it's yours. And so that was a, a pretty good opportunity. So I started hosting a, a weekly comedy show where they flew in a headliner and a feature act. And there were five shows a week and, and I was the MC for all of them. Oh, wow. So what now that's a trajectory that, you know, of course, MCing now is, you know, is going to, to I think DJ Khalid, you know, that's I think that's all he does. Right. It's right. Like he just, right. He just talks over the record. I'm not sure if he actually. I'm not sure if he actually does anything. Yeah, like if he actually produces at all, like does he yeah. make the beats? Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not even sure what he does, but there's that. Um, now, you said you stopped. What what stopped you? Uh, actually, at about uh, 20 years old, um, my dad passed away somewhat unexpectedly. Um, in a way, I mean, he, it wasn't a car accident or something like that. He had suffered from severe alcoholism and, and that led to liver cirrhosis, which um, eventually led to his, his death. He was only 54 and I was 20 and it really just kind of, you know, rocked my, my entire world. I guess you could say, I just wasn't, wasn't prepared for that at all. So um, at that time I, I was not in a mental space where I could go back and, and stand in front of a crowd like that. And it, it took me, quite a while to kind of move, move, work through that and, and get on out to the other side of it. And, and then by that time it had been, you know, a couple of years since I had done comedy and the comedy club I had been the MC at wasn't around anymore. And it just kind of, just kind of fell off. And then, like I said, it was several years later before I really went back to it and tried it again. Okay. Let me go back a little bit because you, you know, growing up, you know, with, with a father who has a substance abuse issue, mm-hmm. how did that impact your world going forward? And do you think that has any connection with the idea of being the class clown, being funny and just some sort of escape or something like that? 
You know, I don't know. So the thing is, is with my dad, and, and this is kind of why it was, I think, surprising, so shocking for me when it happened was that while he was an alcoholic and to some you know extent, I don't know what word to use, but I mean, he, you know, obviously he died at 54. So he definitely, I don't know if severe is the right word or, or serious or, or what word to use, but, but he didn't actually drink during the day. So he, he worked overnights at a warehouse. So he would go to work at four or five in the afternoon and then get off work at, you know, midnight to 2 AM. And that's when he drank was when he got off work. So my real only experience with him and his alcoholism was really when he would wake up, he was hung over, which I didn't understand then. So I just knew he was really grumpy <laughs> when he woke up, but he didn't really, I mean, he definitely did drink, uh, you know, socially and things like that in front of me, but it wasn't like, like when I was around him, he was constantly drunk and couldn't keep it together or something like that. He was, I mean, he was my best friend uh, my entire life growing up and we would go fishing. We would, he would come and, you know, tell the school that family was visiting and then actually he would just take me out of class and we would go fishing or go do something fun like that. We played video games together a lot. Um, so it wasn't, it, it, while he was an alcoholic, until he checked himself into rehab when I was 16, I had no idea. Like when I got the call that he was in rehab from him, you know, telling me, I was astonished because I had no idea, you know, I had never connected any of those dots mm -hmm. that he had that severe of a problem. Um, and I don't know if that's what, what drove it or not. I mean, I, you know, when I was three years old, uh, my mom had an internship in Little Rock, Arkansas, and the age of, you know, between three and, and five are really formative years for, for a young person. And I was, I went to a, 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 a preschool where I was maybe the only white kid there. Um, and again, had no problems with anyone as a result of that or wasn't mistreated as a result of that at all. But I think felt like an outsider to some extent mm -hmm. very early. And then honestly, with my name, like my name is very strange. I mean, Walker's a little more common now. I actually met a lady the other day whose son's named Walker, but that's the first time in 37 years that I've had that experience. Um, I'm also tall. Uh, I had really big buck teeth when I was a kid. So I think I just felt like an outcast. And so mm -hmm. I think probably trying to be funny was a way to overcome that, to, to fit in with people, you know, I, and I'm completely psychoanalyzing on the fly here. I, I don't actually know if that's true or not, but that's my guess. <laughs> you know, it, it could be because there is this thing that I was listening to a podcast today and the woman had two adopted children from China. And one of the things that she said was she wanted them to know their culture, but she didn't want them to be the other as right. well. And so there was, because she said she was already the other because they lived in this little town in Canada. And they're the only Jewish family mm. there. So they're already the other. Now you bring in Chinese daughters, you know, and so, and, and there's no way of getting around the fact that they're adopted. Right. So, right. so, so she pressed hard not to make them feel like the other. So I can imagine that if you're, if you're the only one, then you right. try to do things to kind of melt in 
so you don't stand out. But but then going into the comedy where it's like you are really standing <laughs> out, right? Because yeah. you're putting I, I'm I'm always amazed that comedians fascinate me because the comedian is the only one in society, I believe right now, who has the liberty to really tell the truth and get away with it, right? Yes. Almost, to an extent. It's like they have, like Dave Chappelle, um, uh, Chris Rock, who is the other? Is it Bill Burr? Yep, yep, he's one. They can say things, and you listen to it, and it's like, I bet 60% of the population is thinking that, but we would never say it. (laughs) Right. And you can. I've always thought like comedians have that 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 license to really just, you know, read society as it is, as in the raw fashion, and then make you laugh at the same time because you're laughing at yourself because you're thinking like, yeah, this is this is some really you're right. This is dumb shit, right? You that's what right. you listen to Dave Chappelle. It's like, yeah, that's dumb. <laughs> so, so I always get that. Um, so, at, at twenty, you're MC, you're the MC. You're mm-hmm. kind of dabbling in 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 comedy. Mm-hmm. Your father passes. What's the trajectory change in your life at that point? Where do you think you were going, and how did you, how did that alter your path? Well, I don't know that I really had a clear plan. I was, you know, I, I, I moved out of the house right after, you know, with two weeks after I graduated high school and moved in with a couple of buddies and then had, had moved again. And so I was living in a new, a new house with a couple of roommates at that time. And, you know, I was working a job at a call center and just kind of, just kind of existing, no real, no real aspiration or plan probably again, I mean, I was doing comedy. So I guess that was to some extent, that was the aspiration or plan. I thought that that would continue to, to, to move forward. Um, and then when my father passed away, I, I stopped, I, I quit the job that I had at that time as well. And to be honest, I mean, at that point, I didn't really have, didn't really know what to do. And, and so I stopped working and I, I just started smoking a lot of weed, frankly, and uh, just kind of turned into a recluse. Didn't ever leave. Didn't really try and socialize with people anymore. And for a long time, it was, you know, when it came to my dad, it was it was it was wild because I could just be sitting having a conversation, and I would hear something, or, or maybe just a thought would flash, and I, I might just start break down crying just right then. And so it was just really uncomfortable to be places a lot because I, who knows when that's going to happen. And I'm not trying to do that all the time. Um, and then eventually, of course, <laughs> needed to return to work. And, and, and so I did. And, um, and I, 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 I don't know. Obviously, it's, a, it, it's, it's far and away the most tragic thing that, that has ever happened to me to this day still. But... 
I also think that in a lot of ways it um, it kind of saved me from who I was at that point. Because at that time, I mean, the reason it was so shocking to me, because that's why I say when I say like it was really surprising when he died. The reason I kind of dance around that a bit is because, again, it wasn't a, a surprise event like, you know, some accident or something. And it, it was clear, I think, to most other people <clears throat> that he was on the road to, to passing away. But I just didn't, it didn't, that didn't fit in with my worldview, right? Like, I, I think I was just kind of an entitled person. And I didn't, to me, I didn't want that to happen, obviously. And so I just didn't think it was going to. I mean, I remember probably a month or so before my dad passed away. I mean, all of my childhood growing up, he would sit on the couch and then I would come and lay my head down on his lap and we'd watch TV or, or whatever. And not obviously as I got into my teenage years and stuff, but when I was younger, that happened. Well, then again, probably a month or so before he passes, I'm sitting on the couch and he lays his head down on my lap, which he had never done and tells me that he's really afraid that he's going to die. Because again, it, it was, it was almost inevitable at that point because of how sick he had gotten and there wasn't really a way to reverse it. And my response to him was like, well, with that attitude, you know, like, come on, man, like we got to turn this around. And cause I just didn't believe that it could happen. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know up to that point. I mean, you know, my parents got divorced when I was eight years old. So it's not like nothing, um, the change in my life had ever happened before, but I don't know the divorce I was able to negotiate through because I, my parents still live in the same town and they both still got along. So yeah, I had to change schools and yeah, my, my parents are split now, but I didn't feel like my life was way worse from that or something. Mm -hmm. um, so when he passed, it was really, really surprising, but I think that it, it, it humbled me in a lot of ways. Um, because, it, you know, when something like that happens, and, and this is not unique to my own experience, but when something like that happens to to the person, in this case, me, you know, feeling like my whole world's just been shattered, it feels like time is almost stopped. But then you look around and the world's not stopped, right? Like everything else is still going. And so it just, it just became obvious, <laughs> which is, again, true for all people that world this world this life it's not about me you know what i mean like i'm here participating in it but my happiness or my well-being is not <laughs> the hinge on which any of this rests so mm -hmm. when at what point did you feel like you had come out of it and what were some of the things that led you to was it just time that allowed you to grow out of it or or a conscious decision to kind of move move with your life uh it was a conscious decision i i don't know um because i i don't have luckily i don't have a bunch of these experiences i don't think that time you know people say time heals all wounds but i don't think that's true i think that maybe time makes it easier to suppress things because <laughs> you get used to carrying it and so you figure out how to compartmentalize it but it's not going anywhere if it doesn't get dealt with. And um, eventually I just decided that, like I described earlier, and I was walking around ready to burst into tears. And so I just kind of decided that I, I can't continue to live my life carrying tragedy on my shoulder all of the time. Like that, this is not a way to live. It doesn't make sense. 
and it's not i'm sure it's not what my dad would want for me you know i'm sure he just his his expectation is not that i'm sad for the rest of of my adult life and so i just started forcing myself to think about it um i would i would come home from work and just sit and just think and and i found music there's a, a band called tool um and it wasn't even their lyrics or anything i mean eventually i got into that stuff but I just found music that that resonated with me and that I could kind of just get into almost kind of a meditative space with, but it wasn't really meditation because I wasn't shutting thoughts off or letting thoughts go. I was concentrating a lot, but I just really just insisted that I continue to think about it until I could understand it. And, and eventually the understanding that I came to uh, was that the reason that it was that devastating was because it mattered that much, right? Like it meant that much. So for it to be that sad meant that it had to be that great before then. Mm -hmm. And, and again, I don't come to this conclusion in like a single night or something. It's months of, of considering and thinking and kind of working my way through it. But eventually I just came to the understanding that death is inevitable and it's a part of it. To some extent, it's the cost of life and that it was, it was unreasonable for me to fixate on that as if I had been dealt some unfair hand in life because, again, it's just part of it. And so I really just at that point started to shift my thinking to thinking about how much my dad's life meant to me as opposed to how much his death meant to me, right? Mm -hmm. So, for right. example, each year I celebrate his birthday still. I take vacation if, I, if it's a work day, if it's a weekend, great, but... I always take his birthday off. I have a, a sister that's several years older than me, but um, same thing. And so her and I will get together and celebrate his birthday every year. Honestly, couldn't tell you the day he died, though. Uh, I know it was sometime in July, but I I did consciously choose not to mark that day in my mind because mm -hmm. it, it's one day out of, for me, 20 years of knowing and loving someone and that's the very worst day of it is the day he dies. So why would I, I mean, it's almost disrespectful to our relationship to only emphasize that day. Mm -hmm. Now I, I will say before I ramble too much that I don't mean that there's not a place for grief or if someone out there is listening and they've lost someone, I'm not trying to, I'm not shaming someone for having sadness or grief. That's a very natural thing. But for me, I mean, again, it had been, you know, one and a half, two years that I'm carrying this, again, this burden with me where I might just start crying if the wrong song comes on the radio or something. Mm -hmm. So I was, yeah, I was motivated to, to find a different way to understand it because I knew there had to be a different way for me to think about it so that I could then feel differently about it and then act differently with it. And, um, and yes, I mean, to some extent it, it, it taught me like I, and again, you know, if I could have him back, obviously I would. So not that I'm grateful that he's gone, but as I've said, I can't change that. And so it's almost like his last gift to me was to teach me the lesson that the perception dictates reality. And I don't mean other people's perception of you. I mean, your own perception of the world, how you see things is how things are. Um, and, and yeah, I feel like that was kind of the, the final gift that he gave me uh, through his death. Now, as far as like seeing the world now, because I'm one of those, I don't like Henry Kissinger, but 
his worldview of um, realpolitik, right? It mm. is you simply take the world for what it is, mm-hmm. right? And that's my that's how I approach things. I approach things. I see the world as it is. I accept people as they are, and I'll make a decision to deal with them or not. But I don't try to color it any mm-hmm. other way than what I'm looking at. How has that moment in coming to realize that your perception of the world is your reality? How now do you perceive the world then as far as looking at it, the reality of what it is or and not yeah. coloring things? How how has that changed? Um, I mean, I think that I'm just able to to look at uh, I mean, the, the phrase I use for it is, is the bottom line. Um, but I don't necessarily mean, you know, accounting or, or money or anything, but mm-hmm. just what is what is the root of what we're really talking about, right? Like whatever whatever situation or circumstance there is, people's feelings and emotions get involved. And again, I don't mean to discount those things as useless or something they're not, but oftentimes they can, to, to use your word, they can color a situation so that it now we're talking about a different thing than what the real problem is is that we need to solve. And so I feel like it, it definitely helped me have clarity on, on seeing something for what it is. And again, understanding that like, if I'm butting up against something and I'm not finding a way through it or around it, then I need to change how I'm thinking. Cause that's the other thing that death, I think maybe more than anything else in life teaches is, is the non the unnegotiability of it the, the the lack of ability to change it you know when it comes to relationships with people i mean you can you can you can get divorced you can get i have a friend cut you off you can all these things but it, in some way there's a way that maybe you could repair it right i mean maybe the other person is unreconcilable but there's always at least a chance in the back of your head at least that you could you could go back but when it comes to death there is no, there is no negotiation. It doesn't matter what you want. It doesn't matter what you think, say anything. And so the only thing you can change is yourself. And it turns out that's actually just true everywhere. You can't control other people and largely you can't control other circumstances, even circumstances you think you have control over. Um, like you can go get in the car and you're in control of driving, but you're not in control of anyone else on the road, right? Someone else could do something crazy. It doesn't matter what you were doing. And obviously that's a really easy example, but, but the, the, the point is just that in the end, how do I change me? How do I change how I'm thinking or interacting with this? Because that's, what's ultimately going to be where the slack in the line is, if you will, because it's not, I can't force other things. Hmm. I, I, I like that sentiment where, so now in your life, you have, Let's look forward now. Mm-hmm. Okay. What is your, when you're looking out, what are you seeing for your future now that, you know, you've gone through that, you've had some clarity, you've come through all of those things. And now looking forward, and we'll talk about the podcast and all the, all of the things yeah. that you're doing, but looking forward, what is the, what's the vision that you 
kind of see for yourself, you know, with the understanding we, we know, none of us know the future, but sure. you know, that perception of your life going forward and how you're projecting forward. What is that? Yeah. I mean, you know, so I, frankly, I just always had really terrible jobs <laughs> when I was younger. Um, and so I think for a while I just had a goal of just getting a, a, a what I'll call in air quotes, <laughs> a decent job that would, um, give me the ability to just to live comfortably. I mean, not to be wealthy necessarily even, but just to, you know, it, if, if I, if I get a flat tire, <laughs> that's not economic ruin <laughs> for me. You know what I mean? Right. Cause that's how it was for a long time. And, and now that I've gotten to that point, I've come to understand that that in and of itself, there's a level of, of comfort. I think that is, is certainly valuable and important, but once it, once I've gotten there, there's not really a lot of fulfillment in that. Um, and so, you, you know, you mentioned podcasting and, and that's actually, you know, I started back in, in 2019. That's actually really where I found a sense of fulfillment and a sense of passion. Um, so at this point, you know, that's my goal more than to, you know, I don't want to climb a corporate ladder. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be a, a CEO or a director or any of that stuff. I want to find a way to, um, yeah, to continue podcasting. And honestly, even if that is in the form that it is now where I work a day job, that's not connected to that, but it, it provides me with a lifestyle that enables me to do podcasting, even as a hobby, then that works too. Because with podcasting, I'll just be candid. I've not made any money doing it yet, even though I've been doing it for a couple of years now, but that's not really the value that it brings to me. The value it brings is I get to talk to people from, all over the world, honestly. And, and especially in these last few years and here in the U S it feels like there's so much polarization and it feels like people are either in camp a or camp B and, and there's not a lot of middle ground there. And not that I've talked to someone that has a, like a, like a, I don't, I've not talked to someone that has a, you know, some like a bigoted worldview or something and found value in that. But I have, like, I talked to a lady who's a ghost hunter. I don't believe in ghosts. I've never had a paranormal experience. And prior to talking to her, I probably would have just been dismissive of that. But I talked to her and she's actually like a PhD, has a PhD and works with other people that all have master's degrees, not in ghost hunting, but in legitimate mm -hmm. fields. And the reason that that's that I bring that up is just because they approach investigating paranormal activities with a very scientific methodology and in listening to her and talking to her, like I have an enormous amount of respect for what she does. Now I didn't come away now believing in ghosts or something, but I'm definitely not as dismiss not dismissive of it like I would have been before. Like now it's like, okay, now I'm willing to hear you out. And I don't think I was there previous to starting mm -hmm. podcasting. Like just talking to people from so many different backgrounds has opened my eyes to just it's, it's corny as it sounds, like as different as we are, we are so much more the same. Um, so there's just been a tremendous value for me in podcasting just personally. Mm -hmm. When did you, so you said you started in, started in 2019. What was the impetus for getting it started? <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a, it's not an inspiring story. It was literally, <laughs> I'm sitting at work and a friend of mine comes over to me and she says, you should really start a podcast. And I said, but I'm not an expert about anything and I don't know celebrities. 
so what would the podcast be about? And she said, it doesn't matter. Uh, she said, I have a vulnerability to myself just in the way that I explain myself and explain my thoughts that, that is not common to everyone. Um, not that it's wholly unique to me either, but that she just thought that it, that no matter what I did, that it, it could be something good and, and that it would just be, as she put it, the most me thing that I could do. And so I thought about it a little bit. And then one day I got really, really mad at my day job. And that, that was the day I ordered all of the equipment to start the podcast and, and started it that next weekend. Because I just realized that like, you know, when it comes to working in a corporate job and it's, it, it's not because it's not the fault of my company or, or, or the people I was working with, the way I described it is like, when you work in a corporate world, you spin the roulette wheel of <laughs> corporate stuff. And eventually you're going to land at least sometimes where you put a lot of effort into something and the people that you're putting a lot of effort for it into don't care <laughs> that it's not the way they want to do it or whatever. And that was deeply frustrating. And so I decided I was going to start a podcast because at least I have control of that. And at least I can put my heart into something where at the end of the day, whatever the outcome is, it's, it's, it's mine. I own that outcome and the choices that led to that. Um, so yeah, I started the podcast and didn't really have a clear direction. I mean, you and I were chatting a little bit before we started recording here. And I mean, for the last you know year, year and a half or so, I've had pretty consistent interviews. But for the first six months of the show, there's a few interviews in there, but there's also a lot of solo episodes where I'm just kind of talking about something that's interested me in that week or a thought that I've been having or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, so, yeah, it just again, I didn't have some grand vision or I wasn't like, I'm going to be the next so and so. I just kind of just kind of started and dove into it. And here we are now. Mm -hmm. Well, I completely understand because. I was thinking about the podcast for a year mm. and I wouldn't do it because I had that same idea. I don't have anything to say, right? There's nothing <laughs> for me to say. I, I'm not that interesting. And there are a lot of things going on in the world and I don't care. <laughs> so, <laughs> I so, love that. So, so, and a friend of mine, uh, she she started a podcast called Soul Stories, mm. and she was my first guest. I had her on as my first guest, and she basically put that bug in me of like, press record, start the podcast, and yeah. just press record, and and then I listened to someone else, and they said, "Don't worry about being perfect." Don't try to be perfect. You never wait. You never wait to get started waiting for perfection. You mm -hmm. know, you don't you don't wait till something is perfect before you get started. You just get started. Yep. Right. And that's when I just said, okay, you know what? Just press record. Yeah. And I started. And and then I just started reaching out to friends, say, hey, come on and and talk to me. And that was the idea. So and I completely understand where you're coming from with that idea of like, this is my own. I don't know if I'll ever make money from this, but mm -hmm. I like the idea of just hearing people, hearing their story and realizing that 
because my friends, um, her her line is that everyone has a story to tell, mm-hmm. and it's so true in listening to people that you do have a story, and even when I talk with people who have a specific, they'll come on and say, "I want to talk about this," and then I say, "Well, I want to talk about how you got." to be where you are so you can talk about this right then we'll talk about this <laughs> you know so yeah that, well and, oh, sorry go ahead yeah so that's kind of like where the where the podcast is it's like yes we can talk about your book but i want to mm-hmm. talk about how did you get to the book you know um and that's right. kind of where i'm at with it I, yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, and the truth is, is that that's what pulls people into things always is story. I mean, for example, I was a, a, a huge Kobe Bryant fan, um, but I didn't I wasn't a huge Kobe Bryant fan just because he was a good basketball player. Obviously, he was, you know, a, a, an excellent, you know, one of the all time greats. But the reason I like Kobe was because I liked the character that he portrayed like he was dismissive of his competition and he he outworked everyone and he wasn't worried about anybody he was he was detached from the the rest of the drama of it all and that's what drew me to him and then pairing that with his basketball accomplishments was what was what made me a fan of his you know what i mean but it wasn't just um, it wasn't just his play. I mean, before that, I was a huge Allen Iverson fan. I've got an autographed picture of Allen Iverson on the mm-hmm. wall, but it's the same thing. I mean, Iverson was obviously a great player, but it was his, it was his his character. It was who he was. It was the fact that he wasn't willing to be told who to be, and you know what I mean. He was this individual, and that drew me in. So I think you're absolutely right that the the, the story is what's interesting, and the truth is is that. You know, no offense to any of the guests that I've had before that, that that thought this way, but you've got a book to sell. Like, hey, awesome! And like you said, yeah, we can talk about it. But frankly, there are tons of books and tons of podcasts. So I'm not just picking on authors; I'll pick on me too. People don't aren't going to tune in to just hear about your book that they've also never heard of, right? Like, they're going to tune in to listen to the story. Uh, to your point of how you got to the point where you write that book or what's it like writing a book or what's it like after you've written the book and can you go back to it? And what is your human experience around this idea that you, you, you want to promote? And it's not to diminish their, their work or their book or their idea or anything, but it's the story is what is, what is interesting. I mean, (laughs) if you look at religions and I'm not trying to get into a religious conversation, but if you look at religions, it's all told through stories, right? It's not just told through like logical facts about like, here's how it works. It's all stories. Cause that's what draws people in. That's how that stuff survives for thousands of years. Yes. Um, the book of Job is the quintessential book on almost every movie. When you think of your protagonist, uh, it's like, <laughs> okay, I have a story about my protagonist. I need to, make my protagonist uncomfortable, destroy Mm -hmm. him, do everything I can to bring him down. So then when he, at the end of the movie, he's victorious. It feels like it was earned. Mm -hmm. That's the book of Job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So so anyone who wants to write a movie, 
especially any action movie where it's like he starts off and it's like he starts off and he's married, the family, oh, everything is taken away. Read the book of Job, then go write your movie. That's that's pretty much how you do it. But I agree with you. The story is what counts. Yeah. Um, and that is the most important thing is is get to the story, get to the heart of who the person is. And people are interested in that because they're interested in other people and not so much that I'm going to spend 40 minutes talking about this watch you just invented. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I've, you know, there's also just interesting... And again, this is, you know, someone would have to listen to all of the episodes to connect the same dots that I'm connecting from recording all of these episodes. But, you know, for example, I work with a life coach now for a couple of years and I was we were talking about how it seems like curiosity is an antidote to fear. Right. If you're if you're curious about something, then you might be willing to overcome or or see through the fear to pursue it still. And. And so we're having that conversation in the context of, you know, my life. And then I interview a guy who is also a life coach. And he tells this story about how he uh, to some basically went through a lot of stuff and then ultimately decided that he was going to take his own life. So he he goes out into the woods one morning and he said he didn't know how long he was out there. But at some point in time while he's out in the woods, he kind of just lets go of everything because he's decided that he's going to, you know, again, end his life. So he kind of just lets go of all of his anxieties and fears because he doesn't need them anymore. He's not going to be around. And when he does that, though, then he starts asking himself questions because he had survived some pretty harrowing events. And so he's like, why would I have survived that only to if my destiny is only for me to show up here in the woods, you know, a little bit later to, to kill myself. Like, why would that be the, the, how this worked out? Like that doesn't make sense. And so then he just starts asking himself more and more questions like that. And eventually, obviously, since he's talking to me, comes back out of the woods and, and doesn't take his own life. And so there it revealed itself that for him, curiosity, asking questions was how he overcame that fear. And then that ghost hunter lady I was telling you about that I interviewed, So not talking about life coaching or suicide or anything heavy like that at all, but she was talking about how she'll go to these, you know, uh, old abandoned prisons and, and do investigations. And I was like, I was like, so do you ever get scared? Like if you hear, you know, a noise or a voice or something and you're in some old abandoned prison, because if, if I'm on your team, I'm in the van, right? Like I'm not in the prison. (laughs) I'm the driver. Uh, Cause I'm not in there with those noises. And she was like, yeah, I mean, it can be unsettling. And she was like, but honestly, we don't really run away from it. Like if we hear a weird noise, we run toward it because we want to know what's causing it because they've investigated the place in the day and then again at night. So they're more familiar with it. But again, it was like, again, not related to, to life in that same way, but her curiosity out, outweighed her fear. Curiosity was the end of the fear. So the, the the reason I bring that up is just that also through these stories and, and conversations, I've been able to glean things like that that aren't in any way related to the, the thing that they're selling the guest or the, the topic of the conversation, if you will. But there's these other little lines and threads that you can connect that 
uh, I don't know, I find fascinating personally. Mm -hmm. Uh, I completely agree. What would you say now? uh, And let's go ahead and do this. Let's talk about uh, go ahead, put out the name of your podcast. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So the show I started back in in 2019 is called The Walk Show. Uh, It's just exploring the walk of life. And uh, yeah, I just have guests from all over the all over the world and talk to them just like I've, I've described. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I when I went to the website, it, I love the logo. Um, the the logo is great, and it fits the fact the walk of life. Your name is Walker. The logo, <laughs> great branding on 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 your part. So congratulations on that on that one. You got that one right. Uh, sure. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, now you have you said you started. You have two other podcasts. What are those about? Yeah, so um, the next podcast I started is in, in September of 2019 is called Pick Up Your Sticks, and uh, that's actually a reference to a Chappelle show skit, <laughs> but just tying back to the Dave Chappelle stuff earlier. But anyway, it's a podcast about video games that I co-host with a, a friend of mine. I've been an, an avid gamer my whole life. Like I said earlier, my dad and I you know, grew up, I grew up playing video games with him, and it's always been a, a, a hobby of mine. But video games in a lot of ways are not by all of society, but but certainly by min, much of society is, is looked at as almost like it's a toy or like it's in some way less credible than movies or TV or books or whatever other entertainment media people want to consume. And and so the tagline of our show is why gaming matters. And, and that's kind of what we try and, and emphasize. You know, we're not doing news we kind of do reviews, but we're not really trying to give a score to a game per se, but really we just try and talk about why gaming has an emotional connection to us. And, and so we've had a lot of episodes that are just the two of us. We've also had an opportunity to interview a lot of people in professional, you know, esports, the professional gaming, but yeah, it's just been a, a lot of fun to explore that hobby and something that I'm, like I said, been passionate about my whole life. Um, I, so, yeah. Is gaming? See, I think the elevation now. I stopped gaming a long time ago. I had an Xbox, and I found myself only playing Madden and the Left for Dead series, which they only created two series, and which I still don't understand why they didn't come out with a third right? series for that. That. I was I, I've been mad about that ever since because I love that game. And so Madden and the Left For Dead, and I was playing Call of Duty until they changed it where you have to do so much work to make right. sure that you can aim. Yeah. You know, they got rid of the hey ho click and it just gets there and shoot. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm the type if I have to do too much work, I'm out. Right. You know, so <laughs> right. but Considering that the tournaments and people are making money, the graphics that's required to to do this, the programming, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if gaming has, if the status of gaming is where it was when my father was complaining about video games, right? <laughs> right. Um, and, and, and I guess you can tell me about that. The status of someone saying, I'm going into gaming industry, 
it seems like there is a lot of opportunity, either the gaming side, the promotional side, the business side, or the actual development side, that there's opportunity everywhere now um, for gaming, especially with VR and AR coming on. People are going to start building these big centers where you can go in and just, you know, yeah. actually actually run from zombies. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so, but, uh, but I guess this is just, I guess this is an aside of like, where is the, the gaming at now? Because it, it feels bigger to me than it ever has in, in my lifetime. Oh yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, as far as, as far as wanting to get into it as a profession, you're right. I mean, you can get into it on the development side and, and that doesn't mean you have to be a programmer. You know, you could be a, a project manager at a, a game company, for example. Um, you could, you know, there's all sorts of, of roles that you could fill at a gaming studio. And then, yeah, on the esports side, you could, you could be a professional gamer, but then the most professional gamers are a part of a, a larger team. And so then that team has administrative and management roles involved in that. Um, I mean, I interviewed a guy on pick up your sticks here a few weeks ago that started as a pro gamer, then went to uh, an organization called the ESL, which I think is maybe electronic sports league, but I could be wrong, <laughs> but either way, the ESL puts on events. So they rent out, you know, arenas and, and put on live events, obviously pre COVID, but, but so they're not, they're not making games and they're not necessarily, they're not an owner of a team, but they're the ones hosting the events. So they're in, in some ways, I guess, a media or production company within the gaming world. And so this guy was a gamer. Then he went and worked for the ESL. I mean, he was telling us stories about talking to, um, I think it was the Golden Globes, about having an ESL category, right? Because there's TV, it's broadcast. Or maybe it was the Emmys, but either way, one of those. And then... And then now he's an owner. He's a part a part owner of an esports team. So I mean, this guy's, and he's in his thirties. I mean, his whole adult life has been spent in different areas of, you know, gaming the gaming industry. So you're absolutely right that it's grown in that way. And I guess what I mean by that people are are more dismissive of it is, it would it's incredibly common that you could meet someone and say, "Hey, what video game do you like?" And they would just say. I don't play video games. I don't like video games. Those aren't for me. Those are a waste of time, whatever the, the words may be. But it's pretty rare that you would meet someone and say, what movies do you like? And they would say, I hate all movies. There is no movie that speaks to me or there is no TV show that, that I could watch or there is no book that I could read. That would be ridiculous sounding because it's like, nah, there's a lot of examples of those. There's probably one that you like. Well, video games are in that category now as well. Uh, I mean, especially in the last 10 years, there was just an explosion of independent developers and new studios. So the variety of content, I mean, you know, Call of Duty and Madden, the games that you had mentioned, those games are on the forefront of the technology, right? They've always pushed the graphic graphics envelope. They're always on the latest and greatest machines. But there's people now who make games that graphically look like they did in the 90s because there's an experience to be had there that's mm -hmm. not really dependent upon how good it looks. You know what I mean? Right. Well, yeah. One of the things about games, when we talk about stories, right, is that can mm -hmm. you, can I get my character to 
can I create a, a great narrative for the character, right? And yeah. take them through this world, this world building that Marvel and Disney and everyone else does. But games have to do the same thing. Take me through this, build this world for me to drive this character through. And, you know, and, and that's what it's really about. I used to play Assassin's Creed yep. uh, until I realized the game goes on forever. <laughs> there, there isn't a quick way to finish it and it's like i no i'm done right uh, right you know, so yeah. that that was one where i just i just bailed on on, on that one um, yeah yeah that's fair yeah so so this has been a, a great conversation i want to um i want to keep it to about an hour here but sure. Final question: um, How people? How can people connect with you? Um, sure. And just run down the three different podcasts and websites and contacts and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, again, the, the the show that I've talked about the most here today is is the Walk Show, um, and that's probably the one that would have the broadest appeal because it's again similar to your show here. It's exploring the walk of life. So I've got guests from all sorts of topics and, and varieties. Um, and you can find that on, you can find the walk show and walk show is all one word. You can find that on any podcast platform, or you can go to the walk show podcast.com uh, and find all the episodes there. Pick up your sticks uh, is the, the other podcast that I'd mentioned so far. And I don't actually have, we don't actually have a pick up your sticks.com. I mean, it, there is a website, but it's through our media host. So I, I, the URL would be too confusing to try and read. But either way, if you just search for Pick Up Your Sticks on any podcast platform, you can find the show there. Uh, and then the third podcast I started is a podcast called The Crowfall Podcast. And that's actually very specifically about one video game called Crowfall. So if you're not interested in Crowfall or if you're not, if, if that's not your cup of tea, it's probably not for you. And, and that's OK. I, my whole reason for making it was I wanted to make something that was ultra, ultra niche. Um which is the opposite of the walk show, which has no niche. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, you can, if you want to reach out to me, I mean, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, but you can always email me just at walker at the walk show podcast.com. And I'll be happy to, to, to chat with you. Okay. Well, I, I do appreciate your time. This been a great episode. I love your microphone. Um, <laughs> and I just appreciate your time here. Yeah, no, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for, for having me on. The, the honor is mine. Thanks for listening to the show. Please leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. That helps get rankings and make it easier for people to find the show. Check out the links in the notes. Also, leave a comment. Let us know what part of the show you enjoyed and what was most impactful. Share this episode with your network and help us spread the word about the podcast. As always, you can contact me at thequickstartcreative at gmail.com. Thanks for your time and make it a great day.